Okay, good afternoon. Um, welcome to ENT 318, uh, leveraging a cloud policy framework from zero to well-governed. Uh, so as I was doing my dry run, I looked at this title and it's kind of you know, not clear what I'm gonna talk about, so I'm gonna give, it, give an explanation. Um, so I'm assuming you know, from the title, if you have interested, you're probably all AWS users. Uh, and just from a show of hands, I'd like to understand, like, you know, how many of you are, by show of hands, running um, business-critical workloads in the cloud at AWS? And just, you know, if you keep your hands up, how many of you know, if you know, how many of you are running more than 1,000 resources, like instances, ELBs, API gateways? How many of them are running 10,000? 100,000? Okay, thanks. Um, so, if you're like if you're like us or a lot of other other companies that um, that you know landed on the cloud, uh, when you deploy your first application, whether you you build a cloud native application or you migrate something, uh, you manage your resources like pets. And you know I'll give you a story about how we started. So when I joined Cloud Health, we had uh, uh, literally a very basic web application. So we had one ELB, we had. Uh, two instances running web servers. They were literally called Web Zero and Web One. They were M1 smalls, and we had a database on C1 Medium. Um, and we knew exactly what what everything what, what our entire cloud infrastructure was. We knew the instances. We knew they were the right size. We needed two web servers just for failover. We knew that the database was a single point of failure. Uh, we knew the security groups. We knew you know what ports were open. Uh, we knew our cost per month, and we bought an RI for our C1 medium when we thought you know, it, was, it made sense. And it was, it was tightly managed and governed, but you know, if your business is successful like ours was, and you know, I, that strategy doesn't scale very far. Managing pets doesn't scale very far. And you know, if you ask me today the same questions, you know, first of all, I couldn't answer the same questions without looking at something. And secondly, I couldn't even tell you the number of instances we have to within even like probably 200. So as you scale up your infrastructure, you have to adopt a different strategy uh, in order to get to a high level of governance. And that's kind of, you know, we, uh, Cloud Health works with a lot of large AWS customers at scale. And uh, what, we, what, you've done, what I've done is take, taken together lessons and best practices that we've learned from managing very large environments and uh, put together a framework uh, to enable governance at scale. So if this is, you know, this is what you're interested in, you should stick around. Uh, if it's not, uh, uh, and you want to take a minute to go, you know, step out and find a better, better talk, I'm totally not going to be offended. So, <laughs> so before I dive in, uh, um, uh, just just some intro. Um, Clouded Technologies is a, is a um, uh, is a five-year-old fast-growing tech company. We are headquartered in Boston. Uh, we have offices around the globe. Um, we, we are in a space called cloud service management, which is the management of infrastructure and applications in one or more cloud environments. And uh, we provide companies with a single pane of glass of governance to manage very dynamic and heterogeneous um, cloud infrastructure. And, and a lot of our users also use you know, multiple other tools to manage their environment. Uh, we don't necessarily replace any of them. Uh, we integrate with them and we bring that data in. We give them a higher level of visibility, uh, recommendations for optimizations and governance. Um, so we have over 1,500 customers, uh, and, and uh, through direct and through a partner channel, actually 2,000 customers uh, total. And uh, as I said, we are a market leader in this space, and we manage uh, uh, over $4 billion of uh, AWS spend, annualized spend. So f we see a lot of different kinds of usage in, in AWS. Uh, so who are our customers? Uh, this slide gives you uh, a glimpse into some of them. Uh, they span a number of different verticals. Um, and uh, the, the global, some of them are uh, uh, multinationals. And while we have a lot of small and medium customers, uh, some of the largest customers here are some of the best known names, uh, well-known names in public cloud infrastructure. Uh, they have uh, tens of petabytes of storage. They, they have tens of thousands of uh, VMs in the cloud. And um, so our platform helps them manage all these complex deployments, and we've learned a lot through some of these engagements. Um, uh, and that's kind of what I'm going to talk about. And secondly, you know, not just that, but you know, we, as I said before, we we deploy our own application uh, in AWS, and our own footprint has grown by three or four orders of magnitude in the last five years. And you know, so we have both first and secondhand experience in kind of managing this growth. Um, so just to set some context, uh, <clears throat> uh, actually, so yeah, just what what do you what to uh, expect from this session? Uh, I'm going to frame the problem that we're going to address and talk through um, you know, how, how we think it should be addressed through a policy-based management framework. 
Um, and one of the key pieces that I'm going to talk about is how do you capture your policies um, as code, that, and, and what's the benefits of doing that? I'm going to go walk through a few examples um, uh, across a few range of concerns, and um, then we'll wrap up with some actions that you can take um, to get started. So to set some context, um, so I used to work at, a, uh, at an infrastructure company many years ago, and um, uh, provisioning resources was a long process. It kind of started with planning and uh, justification and budgeting, and then you got your servers, you racked them, you got them configured, you got it accessible through on the network, and it, it rightfully, you know, rightfully took you know, weeks and months. And what AWS has done by defining a public cloud is completely you know, blown away, uh, disrupted that model and blown it away, right? Um, it made uh, resources accessible through API, so developers and application, application developers and operations could launch it in seconds. Uh, and if you, wanted to, uh, if you wanted to scale your workload and you wanted thousands of cores, it was immediately available at your fingertips, and you got consumption-based pricing, so you only paid for what you needed, right? And what this did was uh, it unlocked innovation in organizations and, and pretty much irrevocably changed how IT delivers business value. Right? So within our customer base, we have a number of examples of customers who are, were not born in the cloud, but who have evolved to take advantage of this paradigm shift. Like we have uh, 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 Capital One, Expedia, Warner Brothers, Cox Automotive, you know, household names. Uh, these customers have transformed their how their business leverages IT. Um, so if you look at the cloud landscape, there's, there's a couple of things happening, a couple of um, uh, levels of changes happening. One is if you look at you know the rollout of new services from AWS, it just kind of keeps accelerating, right? You know, it's kind of over 100 now. And uh, uh, like if you heard Andy Jassy's keynote yesterday, last year they they had a thousand major service updates. This year they're on track for 1,300, and you bet next year is going to be much higher than that. Um, secondly, even if you look at your cloud infrastructure from you know and you compared it to a pre-cloud era, you know, before the cloud, if you deployed an application, it would be pretty static. It wouldn't change for you know, weeks or months, right? And today, that's not the case. The change is, you know, it changes at many orders of magnitude faster. So if you look just for us, that's for ourselves, we have, um, we have an analytics workload that takes uh, AWS cost and usage data and processes it for our customers. And in order to do that in a timely fashion, we have an auto-scaling uh, capability that flexes to, um, like, uh, potentially to 10 times the baseline, right? And before the cloud, that would not have been possible. We would have to, have to specify you know, how much resources we wanted at max and be happy with that or you know, give users, our customers, uh, an experience that they wouldn't want, right? So and if you look at you know, where things are going with containers and serverless infrastructure, uh, change is not going to be on the order of minutes. It's going to be on the order of seconds and subseconds, right? So this pace of change is really accelerating. So if you take advantage of these, <coughs> these new services and, <coughs> excuse me, and, and scale your AWS infrastructure, <coughs> the pre-cloud way of doing managing your infrastructure doesn't work anymore. So infrastructure itself has changed, and <coughs> the way that we need to um, um, manage them um, needs, to, needs to have a more thoughtful, deliberate uh, approach to governance. So governance is a little bit of a kind of a generic term, so I, I kind of tried to uh, <clears throat> define what I mean in this context. It's the people, criteria, processes, and tools to ensure secure, effective, and efficient use of IT resources. Um, and what if effective mean, efficient means is, you know, all your cloud resources are well utilized while delivering um, secure, available, highly performant applications to your customers. And effective means that your investment in IT resources, whether it's time or money or people, is aligned to your business goals. And <clears throat> more often than not, what we find is users um, try to address this growth by throwing people at the problem. And as organizations scale, um, this becomes um, error-prone and um, very expensive, generally untenable. And, and people can only go kind of, you know, uh, uh, there's a limit to how much you can grow with people. And um, it's very difficult. And it's, the, it's only going to get worse. The gap gets worse. So our premise is that this gap needs to be addressed with, not with labor, but with automation backed by good processes. And for the rest of this session, I'll talk about how, how do you make it real, right? <clears throat> so once you buy into the premise of technology and not labor, 
there are a few things you have to consider. Um, uh, you can't improve your you know you can't improve your governance posture um, without measuring it. So the first thing is to do is to um, uh, have some monitoring in place. And this is not you know your traditional operational monitoring. It's 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 tracking resources. Um, which reflect your effectiveness and efficiency of your cloud infrastructure. It could be things like your, uh, the cost of your cloud. Uh, it could be your uh, security, security compliance metrics. It could be your resource utilization metrics. It could be your RI coverage percentage. Right? Um, so you need, to, you need to measure these continuously and also track them over time so that you know, whatever actions you take, you know that you're making continuous improvement. Um, you need to be able to know uh, what rules you're going to manage your cloud by, right? And how is it aligned to your business? Uh, you need to have a policy-based management approach uh, and manage, manage by exception, not by going in and looking at you know, reports every day and data every day. Uh, you need to have some good processes in place for, to drive governance. Uh, this can be an incremental approach. So you can say, you know, if, you know, depending on your organization, you can do, uh, you know, address cost optimization first or security first, if that's what you know, all the stakeholders in your company uh, can agree on really easily. Start with something that you can get agreement on. And then you, you, uh, you have to automate the workflow. Um, but you, you, shouldn't do, you, know, you shouldn't do this before you do the, these two steps. Before you know what, you want, you know what your criteria are, and before you have good processes, don't automate bad processes. And, and lastly, you know, if you tune your rules to improve continuously, um, you know, look, look to adopt best, strat you know, uh, best practices um, from, from others. Um, and there are many that, you know, AWS publishes a bunch of uh, best practices uh, and recommendations on how to have, uh, you know, how to build a, um, um, you know, a great cloud application. Uh, and there's a number of guidelines available in the security space to improve your, you know, posture, to uh, achieve compliance that you might want, uh, or to manage business risk, right? And Cloud Health also publishes, based on our experience with you know, thousands of customers, we publish a bunch of recommendations and best practices in terms of the policies you should consider, not follow, because you know, it depends on your business. These are the practices that you should consider uh, while driving governance. Um, so if you, look at, if you look at achieving governance, it's not, it's not a single step to get there. It's a journey that, you know, you know we, we kind of broke it down into four phases here. Um, and um, everybody, you know, everybody kind of starts at adoption. You adopt the cloud, whether it's, you know, you, you, uh, and adoption doesn't, at this stage, doesn't mean you're not a cloud expert. You could be an expert at all the services that you're using, and your application could be, you know, well implemented and do, achieve every objective that it has. But there are some criteria that I'm going to talk about in terms of like, what defines you know, which phase you're in and how do you go from one to the other. And as I go through this, you might want to consider like, you know, you know, where your organization is and, or where your application might be and how, how you might get, go up this pyramid. So in the adoption phase, you might have an, a, you know, a, a fully deployed application, but you, you, might, you might have you know, unpredictable AWS expenses. You have fewer. Um, <clears throat> Fewer security standards. You have lack of automation. You have uh, limited monitoring. You have no cost optimization, and you have no, little or no use of elasticity in this phase. And you can go to the next phase, you know, to a scaling phase where you add more workloads. And what you probably need to do at this point is um, to get some visibility into your usage and your inventory and your cost, and adopt at least some very basic cost optimizations, like you know, RIs, if EC2 is your biggest biggest spend. Um, when, you, when you're in the, in the scaling phase, uh, you might have a lot of workloads, but your ROI might be unclear. You might not be sure of which business unit or group is, 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 um, is driving up the cost. Uh, you have very little change control. Things happen without, without you knowing. And there's little to no understanding of you know, which workloads uh, you're operating and how they align to business. So to get from scaling to a well-managed cloud, uh, one of the things you need to do is kind of as, as, align your cost to your business, and then put in some policies in place to remove unused infrastructure, to tighten security, uh, to leverage elasticity, some very basic stuff to get, get to a well-managed cloud. And, and this is not a bad place to be. Um, the, the only thing that's missing at this stage you know, is that um, you're unsure of, you know, are your workloads you know, in their best configuration? Do you have, you know, best, you know, do you have a standard architecture in place? Uh, you might not have continuous optimization in place. You might drift out of your optimal state unless you have, you know, you go back and do something manually. And to get from, get from management to governance, a well-governed state, 
What you need to do is uh, standardize workloads, uh, do some continuous monitoring, automated optimization. Um, you know, you need to um, put some roles in place, people and roles in place to drive that governance so that it's done continuously. It's not, you know, as and when the organization does it. And when you're a fully governed state, basically, you have full transparency of your cloud usage and cost. Um, you have reference architectures for all your workloads. Um, you have documented policies in place in terms of how your cloud is running. Uh, you have continuous monitoring. You have continu uh, uh, automated optimization. There's clear roles and responsibilities, and all your, all your, all your workloads are highly available, reliable, and secure. Right? This, is where you want, this is where you want your cloud to be. Um, so how do, you get, how do you drive your organization up, up this pyramid? Um, so this kind of one slide is like, you know, this kind of captures, you know, if you, there's nothing else you take away, this is, this is the slide you need to kind of look at, which is uh, governance is, is, a, is a balance between the agility that drives innovation and the control that your business needs to manage risk, right? And the, the strategy that we've kind of found works well with large enterprise customers is one of decentralized management um, where users and groups are free to use their own tools and processes to launch resources and use what, you know, what they need to do, but also centralized governance, which kind of you know, put, you know, en uh, enforces some rules and makes sure you know, everybody kind of is, is compliant with those rules. Uh, so we do, to do the governance kind of top down. And how do you do that? So the, the, the need for pressing governance, um, you know, the, the lack of governance is, is, has become a need that organizations have identified, and they've kind of focused on a role, uh, that's fo you know, a role that's focused on governance called a cloud steward, right? Um, and it's variously been called a cloud custodian or a cloud manager uh, in different places. And what this role, what this person is, is a champion for driving centralized governance in an organization. And, and if you have a larger organization, uh, there's another option. Uh, it, it's, it's what Gartner calls uh, uh, cloud center of excellence, um, which uh, Stephen Orban um, kind of advocated when he was CIO at Dow Jones. And what this is is a cross-functional team of um, developers, sysadmins, security, finance, database admins. And what their focus is are, is on improving the effectiveness of cloud infrastructure for an organization. Um, and, and so if you have a team, in addition, you know, you, uh, the team can be a little bit more hands-on in addition to uh, evangelizing and institutionalizing policies. They can also help with kind of evaluating tools and selecting tools and doing, you know, helping teams uh, achieve governance. So in either case, whether you go with you know, a, a single person or a team, the key is to empower this role to drive the changes needed to achieve governance. So just by a quick show of hands, how many people have you know, this role already in their organization right now? Yeah, that's, a quite, that's quite a fair bit. Interesting. Um, so if the cloud steward is responsible for making sure that uh, all the operators and stakeholders are bought into the strategy. Uh, she'll make sure that you know, all the teams and departments have the data that they need, uh, have the information that they need to kind of comply with the policies to know when they're in violation of it, and also, you know, how to, what, what actions do they need to do to get back in compliance? Um, so once, once, you've, um, once you've adopted, once you know what you're driving towards, uh, you need to think about tooling from two, two different points of view. One is, um, one is to know what policies you have in place, where are they captured, what's the history of them, how they're changing. Right? And I'm going to talk about you know, uh, this concept of code, um, governance as code that helps uh, in our, in our po policy framework. That's the concept that helps address this issue. And the second one is data integration. Whatever tools you use need to have access to the data that you want uh, to, to write these rules on. So, and these, these don't stay in one place. It could come from your, from your cloud where you need to get your, you know, your inventory and your configuration, and you need a place where you need to find your cost. You, need, you, know, you might have New Relic or Datadog for your performance data. You might have you know, Ansible or Chef where your configuration uh, data is. Uh, you might have your budget data in your internal finance system, but you need all these data somewhere in, in one place to write rules against all of these so that you can govern your cloud. And so you need, this is, this is a key piece that you need to keep in mind. Um, so once you, know, once you have 
uh, all the data and you can evaluate your environment against them, uh, you need to drive change to bring, bring it back into compliance if it's not, you know, not uh, in order. Um, so with decentralized management, uh, each, each team needs to know what the appropriate response is for, you know, you know, for anything. And having the standard operating procedure codified as an integrated runbook is, is, is probably the easiest and most efficient way to do this. But as you scale your footprint to like thousands and tens of thousands of resources, uh, you need some level of automation. And what we find is uh, it's, a, it's usually a two-step process that users adopt. Um, the first is when they take the trigger from the policy management system and the response, you know, here's the standard response, and they push it to uh, a workflow management system. It could be JIRA, it could be ServiceNow, and they use their existing approval processes to execute and authorize and execute these things. And you know, they gauge, you know, they gauge, and once they know that these responses are appropriate and they gain incrementally gain confidence, um, you, then you can let the uh, policy management system autonomously execute and just basically tell, you know, just post back or report back the actions that, that it took uh, um, because, you know, because it was in violation. And last but not the least, um, you need reporting at a couple of different levels. Uh, so the, the most basic level is you need operational uh, view for, for the teams that are, um, that are, that are running the cloud. Um, they need to know what, you know what policies they are violating and what actions they need to take and you know, at, at a, you know, somewhat in real time, not, not down to the seconds, but probably minutes and hours. Uh, you also need to know from, a, from an organizational point of view at two levels. Uh, one is at an executive level, how's the entire organization doing? And also um, from individual business units, you know, which ones have which, you know, which policies in place and how well are they doing so you can focus on the ones, you know, engage with the ones that, that need it and close the gaps and make sure, you know, everybody's kind of coming, coming forward. Um, so let's talk about tooling a little bit more. Um, so Amazon has um, kind of a, a bunch of critical building blocks that they've built over the last five years that essentially underpin any you know, any capability to drive governance. Uh, if you're not familiar with these, um, these, um, these services, uh, you should be, which is, so AWS config is, is, um, uh, is what gives you inventory and configuration history. Um, config rules are a way of, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an asynchronous way of identifying uh, non-compliance with desired state. Um, and, and Amazon also ships what they call managed uh, manage config rules, which are like best practices that they they publish. Um, CloudTrail is is you know is uh, is your audit trail. It tells you every operation that, you know that has happened in the cloud, so you can you can kind of understand what changes are happening. Um, CloudWatch um, is AWS CloudWatch itself is is a performance uh, uh, monitor, and then CloudWatch Events is a way of um, is is really it's kind of under advertised. Uh, service which allows you to filter and get events when changes happen in your cloud infrastructure, and AWS Lambda is you know is the is the task execution engine in in, in AWS if where you want if you want to take an action to respond to anything that happened you know that's the place to go do it. Um, there was this really cool talk last year at uh, at reInvent I think it was on a Friday morning so I don't know how many people kind of stayed around for it, it was by the uh, uh, product manager for the AWS management tools team. And what he did was he, he put together, the, he did a little demo, a really powerful demo of putting all these tools together for governance to respond to, um, uh, I, I think it was like an intrusion detection kind of demo that they showed. It was a really cool example. It's probably on YouTube. You can go, go look at it. Uh, there's also open source tools, and I, I picked one here, which is Cloud Custodian. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's from Capital One. It builds itself as a rules engine for fleet AWS fleet management. Uh, you write your config rule as YAML, and uh, it integrates with CloudWatch and Lambda to go execute them in real time and uh, take action. So pretty, uh, even if you don't use it, take a look at it. Um, you know, uh, if you don't use it as a building block, it's, it's, it might give you some inspiration. And no matter what you do, if you, if you, if you build something, uh, it, is, it is a continued commitment. You have to kind of keep track of all the services that Amazon's shipping. Uh, you need to integrate with data and your, in your other workflow management systems. So it's, it's, it's not to be taken lightly. And lastly, in terms of commercial alternatives, um, um, somewhat unsurprisingly, like in the in the, uh, there's a number of tools in the um, in the uh, security space, a uh, number of you know very sophisticated tools. Um, they enable monitoring. Um, they do compliance reporting and governance. 
And if security is your primary focus, uh, you know, one of these tools might work well for you. Um, there's also vendors that support um, uh, policy-based management across broader um, uh, concerns, and, and our company, Cloud Health, is one of them. You know, if you want to come by the booth floor, uh, uh, we can show you what we can do in the product. Um, so this is actually, I, you know, it's a bad title. It's less of challenges and more of questions to think about. And we talked about data integrations, um, extensibility to workflow management systems. Uh, you know, if you do if you do build your own tools, like you know, uh, maintainability of the code just to make sure it's current with whatever Amazon ships. Uh, and the ability to capture all your business rules uh, and adopt best practices, either things what, what, if you built or shared within your organization or from outside the organization like AWS or other places, um, and the ability to customize for multiple targets. So this is, this is kind of interesting. So um, one of the lessons we learned like from, a, from, a, uh, from enterprise cloud uh, infrastructure is is not, it's not homogeneous uh, and cannot be governed by a single set of rules. So I'm going to walk through a couple of dimensions in the next couple of slides to highlight kind of the concerns that come up when you try to, when you try to drive governance uh, across, across an organization. So if you think about this, like this is, this is kind of an environment-based segmentation um, for like a SaaS vendor. Like you, know, you might have a production uh, environment, a staging, a QA, and a research environment. And um, you, you can't... Um, you can't run all of these environments by the same rules. So production is typically the most expensive, it's the most sensitive, and, and it's the one that gets the most attention, right? So if you think about it, you, you want to do multiple things in your production environment. You want to keep track of your cost. You want to make sure it's not going up really high. You have to track that, you know, whether it's, um, and the one way we do that is by looking at your, you know, daily cost or your weekly cost, uh, and make sure that it, you know, it stays within a range. Uh, you also want to make sure that whatever cost you do have, even if it's stable, it's well optimized. So if you're spending a lot of money on on on-demand usage in EC2, um, it, it's an easy decision to you know you have to identify that and you have to make sure that you know oh, uh, you know my on-demand you know my ratio of on-demand to uh, total is you know less than 10%. And you want to make sure you have a policy in place that you know if you have drift and more workloads come in that you, know, you get notified and there's either automatic purchase or you, you know, somebody goes in and makes, makes a purchase and it doesn't go on for like two or four or eight weeks before you realize that. You also want to make sure that you know, your resources are well utilized so that you know, you know, people are not, um, so the teams are not uh, provisioning oversized resources for the workloads they're running. Uh, and, and definitely because these are, you know, this has sensitive data, you want to make sure your access controls are tight and your data security policies are also you know, well in place. But if you look at you know, these policies that you might apply to your production infrastructure, they're totally not appropriate for other ones. So you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're somebody doing research and all you want to do is kind of use some tools and get some data and analyze it, and you have to jump through hoops to just to get to your own S3 bucket because that's the, you know, those are the rules in place, it's going to stifle innovation. It's going to be very, very frustrating. Right? Same with staging. Staging, uh, for example, for us, staging is, is, is a very variable workload. So we don't care if it goes up and down a lot. But we do care. It has a budget, like you know. We keep, and you know, staging gets used when you know when there's um, you know bit more you know more features that get released in a particular month, and developers need multiple staging environments. There's a budget for the month, and we track it. You know, for us, we track that budget, and we say you know as long as you don't go over your budget, it doesn't matter what other what other policies are in place. And again, QA is is, is another environment where. You know the other policies don't work. The, you know our QA environment is very automated. When somebody checks in code or merges a branch, you know um, you know a test cycle kicks off and it finishes in 30 minutes. And really, the only policy we have in place there is to say that you know if you have resources running for more than four hours, then just notify somebody because that's not right. That shouldn't be happening in a QA environment. But even like even along this one dimension, if you just look at production, right? So what you realize is production is not homogeneous. In our, in our, in, our, in our enterprise in our cust enterprise customer environment, um, they typically have multiple workloads. And you know, it, it's not uncommon to find customers um, who have um, um, who, you know, who have multiple acquisitions, running multiple different, you know, they run them as different business units, and they have multiple different applications that are, that are already, they were already leveraging AWS, and they're, they're running under different policies. So for example, you know, sorry, they might, um, they might have different budgets. 
right? Um, and e even though you know, we, they might have you know, some level of access control and data security policies, so in this case, let's, you know, let's make up some examples here. So uh, BU1 is, uh, you know, is a legacy application, right? Uh, and we care about, you, know, we, they might, you might care about the spend not changing too much. As long as it's stable and, and the data is secure and access is tightly governed, that's a well-managed environment. And BU2 is, is, is a, you know, a fast-growing application. So instead of uh, you know, knowing what, what the rate of spend is, you just want to make sure that the resources that you've allocated are well-utilized. You don't really care about as much about the spend going up because that's a growing business. But you, you might want to think about optimizing your costs so that this, you know, this fast-growing cost is well-managed. And BU3 might be kind of a, you know, a, maybe a new acquisition that you just brought in and you have no policies in place yet, just the basic stuff, and you might incrementally roll out new things. But as you see, like, you know, just across these two dimensions, right, you need to be able, if you pushed out one set of policies for everybody, uh, you're going to get a lot of pushback you know, from, from the teams that are operating the cloud. So you need to think about carefully about you know, how to target these policies in ways that make sense. Um, so... In, we talked about like you know the policies that you know, and I, I kind of promised you know, kind of going over best practices. Um, and what we've done is you know we we work with thousands of customers over many years, and these are the set of we, we've taken a, a bunch of policies that make sense and categorized into you know put into six categories. There's literally hundreds of like uh, rules under here. I'm just going to go over it to give you a sense of what you know what these categories mean. So financial ones. Financial management policy and cost optimization policies typically look at your running cost. Uh, so the financial ones, you know, you might look at your budget and see if, you know, uh, your, you know, you might have policies in place to identify if you're going to blow your budget. You might do it at a global level, at your entire, entire enterprise, or you might do it at a business unit level. Uh, you might also look at um, things like uh, you know, what's my rate of spend? Like, is it going up or down? And that might be difficult sometimes. You might, you know, it might because, you're, because of variability in workloads and everything else. But it's also, you might also look at, you know, rate of change of spend in a particular service, for example. Like a snapshot service shouldn't be, shouldn't be taking, you know, shouldn't be growing at like 20%. So it's an interesting example that, um, you know, from our history, which is we had a customer who was a SaaS vendor. They had, they had in the cloud, they had, um, they had a pod per customer, and for each pod, they, they had a snapshot. They used to snapshot every EBS volume, and they used to delete the volume after six months. And they deployed, um, they, they deployed a change in their application, and the script that did the cleanup uh, kind of you know, didn't do its job, and the cost for EBS snapshots went up, like I think, 5x what it should have been before they identified it because it was kind of hidden inside a lot of other costs. So the ability to write a policy on just EBS cost being within a range or changing within a certain percentage is really critical at that point because that's how you want to govern your business. Uh, cost optimization policies, uh, so these are ones where you, know, you would identify you know, on-demand usage that might be eligible for uh, RI purchases, for example. So the way you would do this is by looking at your instances that uh, you know, look at the um, a number of on-demand hours an instance runs in a month, and if it's more than you know uh, 400 hours or 500 hours, uh, you might decide that these are eligible for RIs. And you, you know, if you have this automated policy in place, you can get notified of these workloads changing and and go back and look at it. Um, so operational governance. Um, this is this is a way in which. Sorry. Uh, this is a way in which you would. Um, uh, identify changes in your environment. So, for example, and also make sure that you don't have unused infrastructure uh, lying around. So, for example, you could you could write policies to um, uh, identify EBS volumes that have been detached for more than uh, two weeks, for example, because they're not being used anymore, or yeah, EC2 instances that have less than two percent max CPU over a month. Uh, or uh, disassociated elastic IP addresses, or EBS snapshots greater than one year. There's, there's a lot of waste. Even, even, even when we uh, you know, kind of onboard some very sophisticated customers, there's always some places, if you don't have uh, the governance and the tools in place, we all, it's always the case that you know, there's always waste in the cloud. It's very difficult at scale to find these things. Uh, performance management policies, so these are about kind of making sure your, the resources that you have are the right size for the workload. So, you know, do you, do you have instances with the right CPU memory and disk for specific workloads? Or do you have the right volumes in place, you know, for, you know, 
for your you know, elastic block store. We find that, you know, especially uh, EBS, right, people who are running uh, IO1 volumes, like 80 to 90% of the use cases for uh, IO1 volumes can be satisfied by GP2. And it's, it's a really easy check to kind of, if you have the metrics data, to make that determination. That's usually super expensive. Um, asset configuration policies. So these, these, this is another class of uh, uh, policies that, that are kind of critical. One, one important one that people might want to keep, you know, keep an eye on is if you use tagging to assign ownership, right, it, it might be really important to know that you have resources that have been launched without tags. And this is a really, you know, this is a really easy policy to put in place if, if an asset is launched and doesn't have tag after 10 minutes, then either notify something or start a different workflow to kind of terminate it. Um, you could also have other, other, you know, you could have other corporate policies in place, like, you know, uh, production, production instances should, should run a specific set of AMIs, or uh, production instances should not be running outside VPCs. These are rules that you can put in place from your inventory and your configuration. And last but not least, you know, there's, there's, I'm not going to go too much into security and incident management. You know, you can, you can manage your IAM, you can manage net, network controls, uh, application security. Uh, one key one that, you know, even if you do nothing else, to, the one key one that you should probably keep in mind here is making sure CloudTrail, uh, CloudTrail is turned on for all regions, for all accounts, in any account that you care about, because that's really critical, to, you know, whether it's to know beforehand something happens or to do postmortem analysis, it's really critical to know that. So, you know, given that, you know, these, these are the rules, you know, this is just a, like a, a sampling of this, you know, we have... In, in our full suite, we have like you know hundreds, maybe even thousands of rules that you you need to check, um, um, check against. And each one is basically a very simple rule. Right? Each policy is a very simple thing. If you if you look at it, all it is is what data are you operating on, a clearly defined condition um, that you want want to evaluate. And once it evaluates to true or false, you want to say what actions do you want to take. And so the, the condition can be, uh, can be either way. It can be a desired state or it can be anomalous. So we, we, in our model, we, we use anomalous conditions. So if anomalous, then take action. So it's easier to read that way. So the action that you would take if, if, if you're in violation of your policy. And if you look at, these, um, look at these pieces and how they fit together, you have multiple data streams from all your integrations coming in. Uh, you write your rule against uh, each policy is a rule. Uh, you write your rule against that data set, and you define your trigger. Uh, when do you want to execute this? Um, and once you execute this, you evaluate the condition, um, this data against this rule, and if it's true, you run a set of actions. This is, it's a very basic uh, execution flow um, for, for this policy. But if you peel it back one layer, it gets a little bit more complex. So if you look at data sources, there are multiple um, different kind of kinds of data sources. You, you can have your cloud, cloud data coming in from cloud APIs. Um, uh, you, can, you can, as I said, you can have it coming from um, uh, your configuration management system. Uh, you, you might need history for, you know, for some of these assets because you know, you, if you go to AWS, you don't know what was running last week. So if you want to do a baseline against what, hap what are the changes, you need to kind of keep track of it. Um, and you also need some you also need an ability to do some synthesized attributes. So for example, if you want to know what the cost of an instance for the last hour was, this, you, know, you need to cross-reference the size, you know, if it's an easy to instance, with the pricing table. And, and that's just what the list price should have been. What's your actual price comes from your billing data, right? Um, so you need to know what's my average cost for my instance for the last month. You have to process a lot of data to get that. It's not a simple API call to go do that. Uh, and, and, you know, Cost Explorer you know, recently announced an API to get cost data. So before that, it was really difficult to get any cost information directly out of AWS. You had to do some work in order to be able to get that information. Um, so this can, be kinda, this can get even more complicated. So I kind of mentioned something like, you know, you know, when you look at budgets, you don't want to look at your cost. You want to look at your projected monthly cost for the month, right? And that's an, that's an analysis that's... You know, you have to do that analysis somewhere, even if you're getting that data out of your cloud. Um, so metrics data is, 
is very different from, from that. It's timestamps, it has higher volume and uh, velocity. Uh, and there are things you might want to do with metrics. There are, there are aggregations you want to do. You want to kind of find you know, min, max, average. You might want to do percentiles against them. And you, you, you know, whatever machinery you have in place needs to be able to support doing this very efficiently. Uh, and then there are events, uh, you know, which are just like you know, what things are happening in the cloud. So CloudTrail is, a, is an example of a source of events. And, uh, but these are, these are semantically well-structured and interpretable, and log streams are just data that come in that you know, need some level of analysis to make them, make them, uh, make them usable. So there's, there's different kinds of data that you need to plug into your policy engine in order to make it useful. Um, so if you look at triggers, uh, triggers you know, define when your policy runs, when your, check, you know, when your rule runs. Uh, it could be based on a schedule. It could, you could say, you know, check every 15 minutes, or you could say check at 6 a.m., or you check on Mondays, right? You, you define when you want to run. If you want to check your weekly cost, you might do it on a Monday morning when just before you come into the office so you, you kind of have that report in place. Uh, it could be event-based. You could say something like, you know, when, when an EC2 instance is launched, check to see if it has a tag, right? And you want to do it right away, immediately, as soon as the event fires. Uh, or it could be state-driven. You could say things like, or you know, state or delay driven. You could say things like, as I said, like my QA instances, right? If my QA resource is running for more than four hours, so you want to do it four hours after some point. Um, so it gets a little complicated. Um, uh, the rules are really simple. Uh, you just want to take the data. Um, when the trigger, trigger fires, uh, you want to evaluate some logic against your input data. And you, know, you, can, you can have composite conditions and clauses. Um, you know, it's necessary, but you know it's pretty straightforward to go do this. And lastly, you know once once your policy evaluates to true, uh, what do you want to do with it? Uh, you want you want you want to have a library of, of actions that you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do with it. And some of these are you know get a little complicated because it, it's parameterized. You want to say you don't want to define different actions every time you want to you know send a notification. You want to say email the owner of the asset. And the owner of the asset is defined by a tag, a specific tag that you might have defined, right? So you want to be able to do this, um, you know, uh, in a parameterized fashion. Not be able to write code for every every time you do, you know, you, you might have 150 groups with 150 different owners. You don't want to individually manage that. Um, so if you, this this is the piece where. Um, Kind of, you know, this is the concept that I kind of talked about earlier, which is if you think like about, you know, eight or nine years ago, there was this kind of impedance mismatch between developers and operations in terms of, you know, kind of the environment in which you want to deploy some an application and whose responsibility was it to manage it, and uh, it, it was this principle of infrastructure as code, you know, which which kind of drove the DevOps movement that kind of bridged this impedance mismatch. Right? And what we're proposing is governance as code, which captures your entire policy, all the units that I kind of talked about earlier, uh, into one place in a way that you can read and interpret, um, kind of you know, gives you a framework in which you can kind of talk about governance across multiple, org you know, multiple stakeholders in the organization. It gives you, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's in, in, in our concept, it's portable, it's universal, you can take a definition um, you know, and I'll kind of show you some examples of uh, some policies as code. And you can take one of those examples and you can kind of, you know, compile it or translate it into something that uh, in a cloud custodian could run as long as it has access to the same data sets, right? And you can keep this as a, you know, a system of record. You can track, you know, you can track this code. You know, you can, you can see what was in place at what point. Um, and it, it allows you to do... Uh, you know, do a centralized approach. Without, without centralizing the definition of policies, um, you, you know, you, it's only if you centralize the definition of policies you gain the economies of scale and you get, gain consistency. You know definitely which best practices and rules are being enforced. Um, and you can maintain and evolve those practices in a, in a methodical fashion, right? And you're fully auditable. At any point, you know what was in place at any point. And that's what code, you know, having this governance as a code package gives you. So I'm going to talk about a, a few examples. This, you know, the rest of it is really quick, um, which is one. Um, so the first one, the simple one, uh, it's a security example. It's uh, from CIS. Uh, CIS is uh, Center for Internet Security, which is like a third-party uh, organization. It's well-respected. They, they, they published a benchmark on uh, managing security in AWS infrastructures. And one of the recommendations they have is 
uh, ensure all credentials unused for 90 days are disabled. They, they, you can find this. Uh, they, they published this as a PDF. You can go look at it. And if you look at it, I just, you know, I'm just, there's nothing. I'm just showing what the, uh, what the, what the guideline is, right? It tells you, it gives you, uh, it's, it's a, uh, a document that tells you exactly what the check is, what the rationale is. It tells you how to run the audit. It's, it's a multi-step process. And then what the remediation should be. And if you want to, if you want to you know, capture this as code, this is what it is. A little bit of eye chart. I'm going to jump into a little bit detail here, which is you look at it. Um, so the first one is it's a little. This is our kind of model of it, which is a little bit. There's a little. There's a couple of headers that capture uh, identity. It tells you, you know, it has a name and you has a source. So if you're sharing it with other people, there's, you know, it's uniquely identifiable. Um, there's a section that is free form for documentation that if you want to integrate it with runbooks, you can kind of capture that information there. But the key piece is there are four elements, which are the input, trigger, uh, rule, and action. So the input for this one uh, is you want to look at your AWS access keys, right, uh, from IAM. So that's the set of assets that we want to, want to look at. And the trigger is... Um, and I just kind of made this up, uh, check twice a day, uh, 6 o'clock and 6 o'clock morning and 6 o'clock in the evening. And the check is uh, if the last use date is uh, more than 90 days, right? And last use is an attribute of the access key in our model. And because it's a date, you can apply a function saying aging days and apply an operator saying, you know, what's the threshold you want? And as you can see, this is kind of fairly readable. You don't have to go into... You know, Python or Go code. You, it, this is something that's shareable across the organization. Can, somebody can look at it and say, "Yes, I understand what that's doing." In this case, it's really simple, but you know, you can think about much more complex uh, rules where you know, kind of mapping it into a more readable fashion, uh, you know, kind of makes it really useful. And then the action is, uh, in this case, it's run a lambda function and pass it a parameter, which is the access key. Pass the ARN, and it, you know, it would disable the access key. Uh, the second example is, um, so Amazon um, kind of um, publishes uh, something called a well-architected framework. It comes from um, the experience of um, uh, solution architects. They've, they've taken the experience with thousands of customers in building cloud applications, and they've kind of published guidelines and best practices. Uh, it's kind of broken down into four pillars. How many, how many people here are familiar with the framework here? Yeah, a lot of you. So there are four pillars. It, it's kind of broken down into, uh, I think, performance, reliability, security, and cost optimization. I just picked a random one from reliability, which is uh, making sure your resources are spread across multiple regions of EZs. Um, so again, they have a, they have a, uh, a very descriptive uh, document that tells you exactly what these guidelines are. So I'm going to pick one of these, which is ELB. And uh, I'm going to skip over the headers. Um, so the input here is your asset information, which is your elastic load balancers. Um, the trigger is check every 15 minutes. I could have very well said check whenever, whenever an ELB changes, but you know, it's, it's just kind of a demo. Um, and then the rule is that make sure that it either has multiple AZs or multiple VPC subnets. Right? That's the rule that makes sure that the resources connected to this ELB are, have, are distributed geographically. And then the action here is, you know, Basically, I said notify me and the asset owner. So it's, it's uh, this particular one is basically just a hard-coded, just a name. And this one is a reference to the owner of the asset. So it, it correctly routes it to both, you know, if you, have, if you want to send this notification to uh, a central governance team and the owner of the assets, it's easy to go to. The third one is a little more custom. So this one, the example here is, uh, I'm looking at underutilized instances. But I don't want to, you know, there's a lot of underutilized instances. I don't, I don't care about all the T2 micros and the kind of M3 mediums. You know, those are like, you know, 10 cents an hour. I really care about the expensive ones. So the example here that I'm kind of trying to put together is anything that has less than 50% CPU utilization but costs more than a dollar an hour, right? Um, so the data that comes in is EC2 instances. And the trigger is I'm checking once a week. And the, the rule is that, and this is where the heterogeneous data sets come in, right? The rule is uh, check to make sure my hourly cost is greater than $1 and my CPU utilization at 95th percentile over the last seven days is less than 50%. And that's the description of the rule, and that's the rule. 
right? So that's a really powerful, I mean, if you think about it, like you can, you can customize these things, you can let, you can let business units and you know, uh, you know, uh, the operators who are running services define what good utilization for services, right? Because good utilization for a Redis server is not the same as a good utilization for, for a uh, Postgres server, for example. So, you know, that, those are three examples. So once you, once you have all your governance as pieces of code, uh, it, it enables a lot of benefits. So the, key, the first key thing is, you know, you can, you, can, um, you can start writing this code in small pieces and evolve it. You can put it in, you can manage it like any code. You can use it in version, you can put it in version control, you can share it, you can track who makes changes to it. You, and if you make a mistake and you want to roll back, you can do, do that too. Um, you can, uh, if you put it in version control, you can share it with other, you know, other units in your organization, or if you have a community, and you know you want to you want to build a community and share it across the organization, you can put best practices in a way where it's easily interpretable by multiple multiple people. Um, so the last piece of uh, once you have your you know your policy engine and your governance as code in place. Uh, the last piece is kind of measuring success, how you're reporting on your governance, and I kind of talked about this a little bit. There's three levels to it. Um, you want to you wanna make sure that whatever framework you have in place keeps track of kind of what happened at what time so that people have a way of going back and kind of rationalizing what happened and you know, also tracking history. Like, you know, you might want to know that, you know, Oh, uh, this happened you know, six times last week, but guess what? It happens 20 times the week before, so we're improving at this point. You also want, you know, you also want business unit level reporting, so you kind of know that you know, um, kind of the leaders in the organization get a sense of how well uh, their teams are, uh, are complying with given policy and what is remaining, how much work is remaining, how much it's going to impact their, their workload. Uh, and the last one is basically at an you know at, a, at, a, at, a, at an enterprise level, you kind of want to know how well how well is the organization as a whole doing in ensuring governance for effective and efficient um, utilization of your cloud infrastructure. So to recap, so what? How do you get started? So one is kind of you know, and I think I kind of went through all of this kind of recapping it, which is establish. Establish your strategy by which you want to do it, and as I said, you know, centralized governance, decentralized management seems to work. Um, define your policies that you want, um, capture them as code, uh, adopt best practices, either you know, build your own or share, you know, share with the community or take it from you know, from from advisors, uh, and you have to automate automate the evaluation of policies at scale. It's easy to do, you know, otherwise at small scale, but not doesn't work at really at big scale. And start incrementally and, and become more aggressive uh, in remediation over time. And then, you know, it's, it's a matter of tuning. It's a matter of, you know, doing single steps at a time and improving over time. And, and that, you know, you can only do that by tracking the metrics that you have in place. Um, so that's all I had. We, um, so Cloud Health is at, booth, is at booth 1125. You can come by to look at our policy engine. We can show you what we do today in the product and what we're working on in the future. Uh, you can also come by to play a trivia game. It's also available online. So, thank you. I think we have like a few minutes to, for questions if you have any, and I'm going to be around for a while if you have have more questions. Thank you.